0: Hello, Ashley Poseen here. I am so excited to get to share with you our live radio show now on podcast. I pray you enjoy and are richly blessed by our study of women of the Bible. God has no greater joy than to hear that his children are walking in the truth. We are dedicated to letting the truth of God's word lead us. You are listening to One Truth Ministries Podcast. Here is your host, Ashley Pocine. Today, we are going to jump right back into our study. It's always so hard sometimes to break off in the middle of something that we're studying. And so, if you can remember where we are, we are studying the woman at the well found in John chapter four. And just like we had seen from last week, this woman has clearly uh, been cast out, disregarded. She's coming to the well in the heat of the day at high noon by herself. And so we're already getting a clue and a glimpse into what is the current state of her life. And yet Jesus put aside any thought to his reputation, put aside the way that people would normally go about things. And he went through this entire process all for one purpose, to meet and to touch this woman, to have this encounter with this one woman. He did all of this for her. I want to tell you something. He wants to do all of that for you. If you are listening this morning, you are sought out by Jesus Christ, by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, that he will go to no lengths to, to capture you, to get to know you, for you to know him, for him to get to um, allow his love to transform your life. And I can't say more about that. Well, actually we will. We're going to say a lot more about it. I can't say enough about it. That Christ's love transforms our life and the more we know the truth of who he is, the more our life will be transformed by his love. And we're going to see this process. So now as we go through their actual conversation, we kind of touched base on some of the background and history last week. Now we're going to go through their conversation. And while we're going through it, I want us to pay careful attention to two things. Pay attention to how the addressing that this woman gives to Jesus, how what she calls him. I want you to pay attention to the process of how that changes as her conversation progresses, as her understanding of who Jesus is changes because it's very powerful and it's very telling. Like I said last week, I think too too much of the time people put in as almost a sarcastic tone to her when to me, the simplicity of the text speaks for itself to the transforming power. Of Jesus Christ, the more you know of him, the more you are changed by him. The more you know of him, the more you are changed by him. Now, I want you to watch the process and the progression of her understanding of who Jesus is, and you can see that by the names that she calls him. Secondly, I want you to pay attention to the progression of her actions, to what she does with this knowledge, because it's so key And I love the fact that Jesus, you know, it didn't matter. He could have went the long way around Samaria like all other Jews would have done, taken that road across the Jordan all the way up. But never forget, he had to go through Samaria to get to Galilee, not physically, but because he is one with God in purpose. God had a divine appointment with just this one woman. He cares so much about us individually that he would go through all this just to reach this one it's so powerful to me. I pray that that truth sinks into your heart today. So I want us to jump back into where le- last we left off. She was wondering why in the world a Jew would even speak to her. Remember, and you can go back and listen to the reasons why that would have been so very shocking. Because Jesus at this point is not just speaking to any, any person. He's speaking to a Samaritan and not just a Samaritan, but a Samaritan woman. And now he's not just speaking to a Samaritan woman, which would have been shocking enough. He's actually asking her for a drink. He wants to share a utensil with her. Now to any other Jewish rabbi or devout man at this time, they would have been defiled or believed themselves to be defiled by this interaction with this woman. But like we said last week, you see, Jesus isn't defiled by anything he touches. He sanctifies all that he touches. And it's an amazing truth here. So I want us to go back to John chapter four. I'm going to remind you of verse nine. It says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Now notice what she calls him first. You, a Jew. Now here's what you can almost hear dripping off of her mouth. That same content, contempt. Now, if you remember what we had talked about last week, uh, we'll remember that they held each other um, an incredible amount of contempt. Jews toward the Samaritans, Samaritans toward the Jews. They disliked each other very much. And so you almost can hear that right away. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now listen to Jesus's answer. He said, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. Now, immediately, her ears must perk up. She might, you know, drop her guard even just a little bit. What? What are you talking about? So now you're saying you, a Jewish man, you want to give me a gift? There's something you want to give me? He said, if you knew the gift of God. And who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask me and I would give you living water. You see that gift, that means um, a free gift, a spiritual or a supernatural gift. It is either in the New Testament talking of salvation or of the Holy Spirit later on. That is the gift in which he is, to which he is referring. He is the gift of God. And he says, if you knew that you would ask me and I would give you living water. And so you got to listen to what she says. She says in verse 12, sir, now do you automatically already see? I said, pay attention to how what she calls him. She went from calling him a Jew to now she calls him sir. If you didn't know in their culture, that word sir is just a term of respect. So now we've, we've moved from contempt towards him, distrust, fear, to now we have this term of respect, sir, she says, you don't even have a bucket and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? Do you think you are greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it as him himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Now, there's a couple things I want us to to think about right here, because it's interesting to me. Sir, she says, of course, changing into this tone of respect. You don't even have a bucket. And this well is deep. Like I said last week, it's over 100 feet deep. So where do you get this living water? What do you think you're greater than our father, Jacob. That always makes me laugh, of course, because number one, I'm going to tell you something. Jesus doesn't have to draw living water. He is the living water. Number two, yes, he is greater than Jacob. It always makes me kind of laugh when I think about somebody telling Jesus, do you think you're greater than Jacob? Later on, the Jews will say, do you think you're greater than Abraham? And I imagine that he might want to sit there and say, honey, you don't understand. I created Jacob. I gave him breath. I gave him life. I sustained him. I gave this well to him. But you see, she had so esteemed this person, Jacob, as did the rest of the Samaritans. He was their patriarch. He's who they grabbed onto as their father. So I want us to think about this because like her, sometimes we get so caught up on great people of God from the past, past heroes of faith. Oh, I wish I could sit under Peter or Paul or John or now even maybe Billy Graham. And while that would be so amazing We can sometimes miss the great people of God that he's using right now in front of us, our current pastors, current teachers in this world and leaders. And secondly, like her as well, we often will wrongly focus on the people who have given us great things instead of realizing that they were just hands for it to pass through. You see, she had esteemed Jacob as the one who gave them that well, and yet the one who had truly given them that well was sitting right in front of her. She esteemed Jacob too highly, and she failed to see at this point that it was actually God who supplies what she needs, God who supplied even this water, the very same God who was sitting right in front of her. Do we sometimes get too attached to people that we forget that the supplier is God? They are just hands for it to pass through. And that same God is sitting right in front of you. I didn't want us to miss that very quickly. So, of course, she says, you don't even have a bucket. The well is deep. Do you think you're greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us this well. Now, Jesus replies to her in verse 13, and he says this, everyone who drinks from this water will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again, ever. In fact, the water I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. That is one of my favorite passages in the gospel. I love it so very, very much. It's amazing to me. Jesus was offering fresh living water that would never run out. Now, this would have been huge. If you know anything about the Israeli, um, uh, culture and also just, uh, their land at this time, they depended largely on things called cisterns. It would catch the rainwater. They could fill it up, but this water would sit in a large, large container, a big vat. It would sit in these cisterns and become stale, stagnant. In other words, it was dead water. It was not living at all. It was, if you could imagine having a cup of water and leaving it out overnight and taking a sip the next morning, you'll know what that's like. It was kind of this nasty kind of dead water. And now Jesus is saying, even from this well, if you were to drink water from this well, you will be thirsty again. But if you drink the water that I give you, You will never be thirsty again. In fact, I want to tell you something. Not only will you never be thirsty, but the water that I give you is going to become your own well springing up from within you for eternal life. And I guarantee you, her eyes were huge. Her mouth was dropped open. She wants this water. Could you imagine never having to come back to this place again to get filled up with water? Now, it also, it reminds me of something that God says in Jeremiah chapter 2:13, that I think is critical here. I've always gone back to this portion of scripture whenever I read John 4. Because God had this indictment against his people, and I believe the same holds true for us. Listen to what he says in chapter two of Jeremiah, verse 13. He says, for my people have committed a double evil. Some translation translations will say my people have committed two sins. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and they have dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. Oh, I want us to think about that today. Because I wonder if, like her, we have any cracked cisterns in our life. Have we dug our own cisterns, trying to hold as much of this life as we can, trying to keep it in there, and yet, like God says, they are cracked, they are leaking out, they cannot sustain you. He says, my people have committed two sins. They have abandoned me, who is the only fountain of living water. And they have dug cisterns for themselves, cracked cisterns that cannot hold water. And he is about to reveal to her what her own cracked cistern has been in her life. I want us to ask God to reveal to us if we have a cracked cistern in our life, something that we have been using to try to fill us up. And yet, as much as we try, we remain empty. We remain empty. So I want you to listen again to what he says. If they drink the water I give them, they will become a well of water springing up from within them for eternal life. And of course, in verse 15, she says, sir, the woman said to him, give me this water, please, so I won't get thirsty and have to come here to draw water again. Now, thinking about her life that we're going to find out about in just another verse, I want you to think about what this would have meant to her if she didn't have to face the ridicule, if she didn't have to come ostracized in the heat of the day and try to draw water from this well, what that would mean to her. So she says, please give me this water. And it's right here in this moment where she is beginning to recognize her great need that Jesus is going to reveal to her why she needs a savior. You see, he's so great at that. I always tell people, you will never, ever be saved until you recognize your need for a savior. You see, we have to come to that place where we understand that we have a need, that we need him to be our savior. We need him to be our Lord. He might have even been someone you had considered your God. But until you come to him in that broken place where you say, Jesus, I need you. It's not just that I look to you. I need you. I need you for life. I need you as my Lord. I need you as my Savior. And so right here, as she's beginning to recognize her need. And at this point, it is a physical need. Jesus is now going to turn the table, steer the conversation to the living water that she needs most. He wants her to recognize her brokenness so she can understand her need for him. And so listen to what he says. She's asking desperately for this water. And in verse 16, he says, go call your husband and come back here. Now at this moment, maybe she'd been so hopeful he was going to give her this water. And now can you almost see the disappointment to me as I'm picturing this because I love to just be there in my mind. I can almost as a woman see her eyes fall to the ground, her shoulders begin to slump as she recognizes, well, once I tell him, once he knows, there's no way he will offer this to me again. And yet she answers him honestly. Listen to her answer. In verse 17, she simply says, I don't have a husband. Now listen to how Jesus responds to her. He does not berate her. He does not pummel her into the ground or judge her. Listen to how he handles her heart. He says, you have answered correctly when you said, I don't have a husband. Now he tells her the truth for you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. So what you have said is quite true. Now, can you imagine her astonishment? Her life has just been revealed right before her, her sins, those hardships that she's faced in her life, the pain, the regret, the agony. He has just brought them up. And so she says, sir, the woman replied, I see now that you are a prophet. So remember her progression of understanding who Jesus truthfully is. It went from just calling him Jew to now addressing him with respect, calling him sir. And now she says, you are a prophet. You are an inspired man of God. Because he knew all this about her. Now, some people will take this next portion and say, well, she's just trying to dodge the question. And so she changes the subject. I want to submit to you this possibility. I don't know if that's the case. She has just recognized that Jesus is a prophet. And to me, it actually speaks greater to the heart of her understanding as she asks him a very, very intense, specific theological question of the day. Now, this was an argument. This didn't come out of nowhere. The Samaritans and the Jews have been arguing over where they should worship for many, 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 many years. In fact, the Samaritans had built had built kind of a counter temple right there in the capital of Samaria, where, of course, the Jews worship in Jerusalem. And there had been this conflict, this debate about where they should worship. Now, if she truly believes he is a prophet, then she is believing he might have the answer. And so I truly believe, yeah, she could have been dodging it. But I believe she actually wants to know the, the truth of the matter. Maybe even so much so now that her sins have been revealed, she might want desperately to go worship and to pray and to offer sacrifice, and yet she wants to know from him where should she go. One of the reasons I believe that this was a serious question is because Jesus takes the question seriously. He answers her. He doesn't just jump her right back into the topic he needed her to, to go to. He answers her question. So listen to her question. She says, I see that you are a prophet. She goes, our father's worship on this mountain, and yet you Jews say the place to worship is Jerusalem. So she's asking which one is it? And Jesus says to her, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem. That's not the issue. He says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know because salvation is from the Jews, but an hour is coming. And I love this statement and is now here. When true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the father wants such people to worship him. You see, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And oh my goodness, I can just picture that woman's eyes narrowing as she says this next part. You see, to me, this shows that she was a woman well-versed in scripture The Samaritan people held to the five first books of the Old Testament, what we would call the Pentateuch, Moses' books. That's what they held on to. And of course, those books declare the coming of a Messiah. They prophesy it. Now listen to how she says this, because I believe her eyes are narrowed at him, looking at him. The woman says to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. I know that. Listen to her statement of faith. I know The Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Are you connecting the dots here? For this woman, she is sitting here looking at him going, wait a minute. I know the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. What did Jesus just do for her? He had just explained everything to her. He not only knew about all of her past sins and failures and struggles and hardships and pain, but he also was able to answer with absolute authority the biggest theological question between the Samaritans and the Jews, where to worship. Can you picture it now? Her looking at him, wait a minute. I know the Messiah is coming called Christ. And when he comes, he will reveal everything to us. Now, I gotta tell you something here because this is where my imagination kicks in. I don't know about you, but can you all almost see all of heaven leaning in at this moment? Because I can picture it. All of heaven leaning in. What is he going to say? What is he gonna declare to her? Is he going to actually tell her the truth of who he is? Did you know something? Up until this moment, he has not declared who he truly is to anyone. To anyone. This is a monumental moment. And you know who he chooses? Oh, ladies, do you hear this? Do you know who he chooses? He chooses a woman. He chooses a broken, discarded, rejected Samaritan woman to be the first one to receive this news. Now, like I said, she's questioning. Hold on. I know the Messiah is coming. And when he comes, he'll reveal everything to us. I could picture all the angels of heaven leaning in, wondering what he's going to say. And then Jesus responds to her in verse 26. And he says, I am he. Oh my goodness, can you just picture that? Just, I almost feel the earth shaking when he says, I am he, the one who is speaking to you, Jesus says to her. Now, I don't know if you know this, but he just declared his own name right there. I am. That is the name he gave to, Mo- uh, to Moses in the wilderness. I am that I am. I want to tell you something when he uses that name, when he says, I am entire garrison of soldiers fall to the ground, the earth shakes. When he says, I am things happen on this earth, when he declares the truth of who he is. And this woman just got to hear it for the first time. She has grown in her knowledge and understanding of who Jesus is. And I want to see, I want you to see how it has so transformed her. Because just then, like the disciples tend to do, impeccable timing, they're ruining the special moment between him and her. So the disciples arrived just then. And of course, it says they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet nobody said, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? They knew at least a little bit better than that, but they were shocked. Listen to verse 28. Then the woman left. Her water jar went into town and told all the men, come see a man who has told me everything I ever did. See for yourself if this is the Messiah. This is astounding to me. What did she leave behind? She left her water jar. It was the whole reason she came. It is what had been most important to her. And when she recognized who Jesus was, she left it behind. You see those things that seem so important to us in light of the truth of who Jesus Christ is, they fail uh, to, they, they pale in comparison. And she leaves behind her water jar and listen to what she does next. She runs right back into the very town of the people who have so badly mistreated her to the ones who have abused her, the ones who won't have anything to do with her, maybe even to those same very men she's had relationship with. But she leaves what had once been important to her and she rushes straight into this town and begins to declare to them, come see for yourself if this is the Messiah. He is a man who's told me everything. And I want to tell you something, nothing but the working of the Holy Spirit in her would have allowed these men to actually listen to her. And they do. The, the, it says that this entire, all the men from the town, they believe her, they listen and they come out to meet him. In verse 39, it says many Samaritans from that town believed in Jesus because of the woman. When she testified, he had told me everything I ever did. Therefore, the Samaritans came to him. They asked him to stay and many more believed because of what he said. And they finally told the woman in verse 42, we no longer believe only because of what you said, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this is really the savior of the world. Do you understand this ostracized Samaritan woman through her growth and understanding of who Jesus was from just a Jew to sir, to prophet, and finally to Messiah, She became the first missionary to the Samaritan people and through her many became saved. I want, I want you to see something amazing. As she grew in her knowledge of Jesus, it led her to leave some stuff behind. She left behind what had once been important to her, her water jar. She left behind what had, what um, what had at one time um, stopped her or hindered her. She had left behind what had once been comfortable to her. Her isolation, she left behind what had once hindered her, her shame. I want you to hear all three of those. She left behind what had been important to her, what had been comfortable to her, what had hindered her. She left it behind because she considered it a loss compared to knowing Jesus. You see, knowing Jesus led her life into action. His love chose her. It cleansed her. It changed her. It empowered her. His love would stay with her forever. And it does the same thing for us. You are sought after. As men and women of God, Jesus has chosen you. He has cleansed you. He has changed you. His love can empower you. It will stay with you forever. I want you to understand something. We are not rejected any longer. We are chosen. We are not cast out. We are called out. We are not embittered because of our past. We are empowered into the future God has for us. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? I want to tell you Romans 8:35 through 39 tells us nothing can. I hope through this study, and I encourage you to go back and look at it again, the change in this woman came through the power and love of Jesus Christ. She was able to leave behind what had at one time been important to her, what had hindered her, what had slowed her down, what had been comfortable to her. I want to encourage you. His love seeks you out to do the same thing. We thank Jesus for his powerful love for us. In his name, amen.